My message today is entitled, His Transforming Presence. I'm going to begin in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Now we've known that many times we've seen these discussions with the Pharisees who are these religious leaders, these often appeared to be these pompous, and I know better than you. But understand that Jesus went to everybody. He didn't say, oh no, they're not going to like my message, I'm not going to speak in front of them. He went to everybody. That's the heart that we need to have is to go to everybody. And so a Pharisee asked them to come eat with them. So Jesus went to his house to sit down and eat. See, Jesus knows that the whole goal is to go to people. It's not just we're going to open a church and hope people come. Our job is to go to people rather than demanding that they all come to us. Jesus could have said, hey, I'm going to be at the temple all this week. Get your ticket. Come on here. He didn't do that. There's times he went to the temple, but he went to houses. He went to villages. He sat in people's houses. He ate with sinners, the Bible said, tax collectors. That's the message for us. We need to go to people and be involved in people's lives. He made connections with people. He made himself accessible to others. He took away as many obstacles as they had so people could come to Jesus if they truly wanted to get there. There are too many obstacles that people are trying to get to Jesus. We need to take those obstacles out of the way. Now, it's still up to that person to come to Jesus. But we need to take those obstacles out of the way. And so if we could take this cue from Jesus and go to people, then we'd be following his, his true heart of ministry. Luke 7, verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city, who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Wow. How would you like that for an introduction? Hey, here she comes, the woman who was a sinner. It's not very flattering, is it? A woman in the city who was a sinner. Do you know what that means? It means that everyone in the city knew that she was a sinner. That's what she was known by. Can you imagine how much judgment that she felt from everyone? Can you imagine how much self-condemnation she carried wherever she went? There was no escaping the weight of her sin. It had to be exhausting every single day. There are people like this woman all over the place, weighed down by sin for many reasons, wanting to break free. And you wonder why they don't? It's because they're cornered by the judgment of others and by their own shame, which are two very powerful things that, that are at work. And so this woman hears that Jesus has come to a house nearby, and something in her gives her the audacity to come near to Jesus. So taking a jar of fragrant oil, something that she probably used to cover herself all the time to make her attractive to others, now she takes this jar and now instead of spending on herself, now she goes to Jesus. She starts to walk towards Him as He sits at a table to eat. Verse 38. And she stood at His feet behind Him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. I want you to first notice that she stood behind Jesus. 
reclining at the table as Jesus would have been. They didn't sit in chairs. They kind of sat down maybe on pillows or something low. So reclining at the table, Jesus would have had his feet stretched off to the side. As she approached him from behind, she was weeping, meaning that she was immediately convicted in his presence. She knew that the life she was living was wrong. She knew she was a sinner. She had been judged so harshly by others calling her a sinner wherever she went. People would stare at her from afar. Children would laugh at her and mock her. She felt so unworthy. She felt so shameful, so broken. It's possible that she had convinced herself that she didn't even deserve to be healed. But something in her compelled her to draw near. Imagine that journey she took from her house to get to there. She had to expect that someone would have stopped her before she even made it to Jesus. Surely one of his followers or one of his disciples would have been too embarrassed to let this woman, this sinner, into his presence. She had to expect that her own doubts would have convinced her that she was not worthy, that her own self-condemnation would have turned her away. But it didn't happen this day. Something moved her to come all the way to Jesus to defeat those doubts in her head, to ignore the glances from others. This day, no one stopped her. And as she approached Jesus, the heaviness that she had been carrying because of her life of sin was now processing something completely different. She was no longer beaten down and in bondage to condemnation. Rather, her heaviness had succumbed to conviction. It had to be a completely different experience and phenomenon for her. For condemnation had always driven her away. Had always driven her away from God and away from hope and away from healing. The same thing it does to us when we sin and feel bad and we condemn ourselves and say, I shouldn't have done that. I don't even, I should not even come to church today. I'm a sinner. I shouldn't go near those people. I don't deserve it. That's condemnation. When you hear yourself saying should and should not, that's condemnation, which is the enemy trying to get you to go further away from God. It's not what God desires. We all are sinners. Every one of us. And so, con- and so condemnation sends us further away. But today, this woman didn't have condemnation. Something changed. You see, condemnation told her that she was broken and unworthy to be healed. However, today, condemnation was transformed into something called conviction. Conviction still made her aware of her sin, but it didn't drive her away from God. It drove her to God. Conviction told her that her relationship with the Lord was broken, but also that God wanted to heal that brokenness and that God wanted to draw her near. Conviction, even though it was painful, gave hope for restoration. Conviction gave her a pathway through her brokenness to finally be healed, for the heaviness to be lifted and to be set free. 
If you can see the truth in this passage today, it has the power to set you free. I don't know what kind of heaviness that any of you may be carrying today. I don't know what kind of condemnation that you may be in bondage to or what type of judgment you have been subjected to. But Jesus is here today to set you free if you're willing to come all the way in to His presence. So many people never make it fully into God's presence because their condemnation never converts to conviction. This is because people do not understand the power or the role of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who brings conviction to us all. It's our conscience that brings condemnation. You know what I'm talking about? You do something wrong, your conscience tells you, boy, you messed up. Boy, you're bad. No one's as bad as you. I can't believe you're doing the same thing over and over. I can't believe you haven't learned your lesson by now, right? That's what condemnation does. That's not from God the Father. That's from the Father of lies. Wanting you to go away, but conviction says, okay, you messed up. You broke your relationship with God. But if you come to Jesus now, He will heal you. He will forgive you. That's what conviction is. We need to push through that condemnation by understanding what the Holy Spirit's role is so we can go to conviction to be healed. Jesus talked about the exact role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. Let me share this with you. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, which means Jesus was basically saying, I'm going to go back into heaven soon. And He's saying, don't worry, because it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, here He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Helper will not come to you. But if I do depart, I will send Him to you. See, before Jesus left this earth to go into heaven, He taught about the coming of the Holy Spirit and why He is absolutely essential in anyone coming to the Lord and staying in the Lord. Without the Holy Spirit, Christianity becomes a religion of man-made rules and explanations. Without the Holy Spirit, evangelists try to convince people why they should come to Jesus using human logic and persuasive arguments. But if one man can convince you to begin to follow Jesus, then another man can convince you to, go, to leave Jesus and go follow something else. The truth of the matter is that many people thought that they had tried Christianity because they were convinced by people or churches that they were Christians. Yet when they found that they had no peace or they were unable to break the bondages that they were in in their lives, they walked away from whatever they were sold because there was no Holy Spirit or conviction in the process. This is why the Holy Spirit has to play a role in our conversion to change condemnation to conviction where there's hope. The Holy Spirit has to transform us. Listen to how Jesus describes the role of the Holy Spirit. John 16:8. And when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You see, it takes the presence of God through worship and through prayer and through the uncompromised Word of God to bring conviction upon us. I don't need someone else to tell me I did something wrong. 
But if I feel that God speaks to me through the Holy Spirit and lets me know that I missed the mark that He sets up for me, then I understand I'm wrong. I don't need condemnation. I need conviction. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. There are three things that we are convicted of by the Holy Spirit. Verse 9. He convicts us of sin because they do not believe in Me. He convicts all of us of sin since all of us have sinned. The Bible says that no one is righteous. No one does good on their own. All of us have sinned. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Whether in the things we say, whether in the things that we think, or whether in the actions and behaviors that we do, we all disobey the teachings of God at some level. We don't mean to always. Sometimes we do. But sometimes it just happens because we have, inside us we have what's called a sinful nature. Our sinful nature leads us to comfort ourselves at times instead of submitting everything that God expects of us, to submitting to God. In short, every one of us is guilty before God. And if nothing is done to do away with our sins, we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. This means that we are doomed to spend an eternity without God without love, and without peace. If we are open to the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins, knowing that we have broken our relationship with God, conviction produces a little pain. If we understand that we didn't just sin, but we've actually hurt God and other people. Here's the problem. In the world that we live in that's very politically correct, the world doesn't let you... Be convicted because they think it's bad for you to have pain in your life. Oh no, it might, it might hurt someone's self-esteem if you tell them that, um, they broke God's law. They worked so much on self-esteem instead of talking about self-worth that Jesus loved you enough to die for you. That self-worth is so much more important than self-esteem. The condemnation has to turn conviction. We have to understand that we missed the mark. All of us. This is the first step of conviction. But there's a progression if we don't shy away and if we keep coming all the way to the Lord. Verse 10. He convicts us of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Once a person is convicted of sin and realizes that he or she is wrong, he's willing to admit that he or she is wrong, that he's sinned against God and others, then conviction of righteousness comes. What's that mean? You see, many people fail to understand the full power of God. It's why many people fail to stay in God's presence and get the complete victory through the Lord. When He convicts you of righteousness, He's saying that your righteousness alone cannot tip the scales in your favor. Many times we sin and we think, if I just go to church more, if I just pray more, if I read the Bible more, then I'll be in better favor with God. The Bible actually says this. It's not in our slides today, but the Bible actually says that our righteousness are like filthy rags to God. Whatever we think we're serving up to God is like a filthy rag to Him because we have sin in our lives. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how many people you have helped, no matter how much money you have given to the poor or how many times you attend church, your good works or your righteousness cannot earn your way to heaven. That's what the Holy Spirit says. He convicts you of sin. You've messed up, as we all have. He convicts your righteousness. Okay, you messed up, but you can't fix it. There's only one person that can fix it. When we are convicted of righteousness, we understand that we broke our relationship with God. And there's nothing that we can do to mend that relationship on our own. 
This is where this step of conviction may bring more pain, may be unsettling, it may be uncomfortable. Some people weep, as this woman did, was weeping in the presence of Jesus. And then we come to the third step of conviction. Verse 11, He convicts us, the Holy Spirit will convict of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When we are convicted of judgment, it means that unless something is done to atone for our sins, unless we receive forgiveness, there's no escape from the judgment of us by our holy God. It is this place that we all must come to. We must have the courage to push through that pain, through that time of being uncomfortable, to get to the answer and to the hope. It's not pretty. It's not comfortable. There have been times when I've spent crying at the altar to God. It's a necessary step to go through this pain, to bring us to a place where we realize I don't want to just try another church. I don't want to just try Jesus. I need Jesus. I have sinned. My righteousness cannot fix it. If I don't do something, I am subject to judgment. I need Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It lets us know that we need Jesus. Modern churches and evangelists will often not let the Holy Spirit do His job to bring people all the way through the steps of conviction. They often try to rescue people from experiencing too much grief in their time of conviction. They don't want to make you feel uncomfortable because they think that your self-esteem might be damaged. So instead, they offer fluffy messages that only highlight the happy times with Jesus. With anybody in here besides me, you've been a Christian, you've been devoted to God, and you still have trials and tragedy in your life. Yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. But here's the thing, God's with us through it all. And He gives us strength. And the Bible says that He gives us new mercies each and every morning. And I think, how can you go through this life without Jesus? Because my life sometimes is a complete mess. But I have Jesus to bring me along. We cannot take the job of the Holy Spirit away. Because condemnation has to be transformed to conviction to bring us hope. It is only through real Spirit-led conviction where we realize that we don't just try Jesus we come to a place that we realize we absolutely need Jesus. He is our only hope. He is our only answer. He is our only means for salvation. The Bible says this, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father in heaven except through me, which means the only way we can get to heaven is by accepting what Jesus did for us. That's the only way. As soon as we're vulnerable before God and we realize this conviction and we open our heart, and we're, as soon as we're vulnerable before God and confess that we are sinners in need of Jesus to forgive us, something amazing happens. Jesus takes our conviction and transforms us by His amazing grace. Grace means He gives it to us whether we thought, think we deserve it or not. He just gives it to us anyways. He forgives us. Hallelujah. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. In effect, He wipes our slate clean. We come to realize that His death on the cross was the debt that had to be paid for our sins. And to fulfill a law or a command that God had instituted a long time ago, an innocent lamb had to be killed. 
There had to be a payment for the sin. And so an innocent lamb in the sacrifices in the Old Testament, an innocent lamb was killed. And they would take two goats, and one goat, the high priest would put his hands on the head of the goat and say, I'm going to transfer all the sins of the nation Israel onto this goat. Then that goat would be led off into the wilderness. And they would say, there goes the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Sound familiar? That goat is where we get the name scapegoat, where you blame someone for something that happens. That goat took on all the blame of all the sins. But then another lamb without spot or wrinkle, without, with a perfect looking lamb, was sacrificed and killed. Because of a law that God instituted way back in the garden, that when there was sin, there had to be blood that was shed of an innocent life to pay for or to atone for our sins. Jesus Christ was that Lamb of God. In fact, when He first came on the scene and John the Baptist saw Him, John the Baptist said, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Which means we're not going to use a physical, an animal anymore. Jesus was that Lamb of God, that Passover Lamb. Jesus' blood on the cross shed for us, paid the price for us. So when we ask Jesus to come into our heart and to give us a new life, what happens is that blood of Jesus figuratively covers us so now we can stand before God in heaven. Now when God says, why should I let you into heaven? We don't say because I've done a bunch of good or I've been to church a bunch of times or read the Bible. We say, the only reason you should let me into heaven is because Jesus died for me. He took my place on that cross, a death that I deserved. He died for me. His blood covers my sins. All you have to say is, why should you let me in? Is Jesus. He made a way for me. Back to our Scripture passage. We see the beginning of condemnation turning to conviction. Luke 7.38, I'm going to read it again. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. This weeping shows that she's no longer condemned, but convicted. And the fact that she's not running away, that God is working on her heart right now and keeping her in His presence. I don't know about you, but it's possible God is speaking to you right now. I don't know what you're carrying. But God might be working on your heart right now and you feel like, like how does pastor know my, my life? I've heard that many times. Did you go on my uh, Facebook and read my stuff? How did you know to speak what I needed to hear? No. I know that we're all in that same thing. And so God, by His living Word, speaks to us and convicts us to, to stay in His presence because there's hope in His presence. With her tears, she begins washing his feet and wiping them with her hair. She's amazed that knowing her life of sin, she was not cast out of his presence. This is the first time she didn't get kicked out of a place because people knew who she was. And she is allowed to stay in there. She's overwhelmed by the fact that she, even herself, a sinner, that she has something to even give to the Lord. Her service to Him is being accepted without being shunned or turned away. For the first time in a long, long time, she is making contact, physical contact with someone else while having pure motives. And she's allowed to remain there without shame. 
Can you see the power of what's happening here? She then begins kissing His feet and anointing them with oil. For once in her life, she is giving a gift of the heart. And it's being received without judgment from the one it's being given to. She's overcome with emotion. Every moment in His presence is breaking self-condemnation and the bondage of shame and pain in her life. And so she continues in her humble state at the feet of Jesus. Verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw all this happening, he spoke to himself, because of course he's thinking, Jesus can't read my mind. We know otherwise. He said, this man here, if he were really a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman is touching him, for she is a sinner. Here we go. Someone else who has no real relationship with Jesus, who is not open to the Holy Spirit to convict him of his sin and his righteousness and his judgment. He's so quick to accuse Jesus and to quick to condemn this woman. Verse 40. And Jesus said to him, this Pharisee, his name was Simon, he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Verse 42, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair from her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little in return. What powerful truth is given here by Jesus this same promise is available to us all if we are willing to press in through the condemnation to allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to our hearts with the blessed hope of being finally set free. I don't know about you, but before I came to Jesus, I tried everything I could to break the condemnation and the addictions and the problems I had in my life. I'd start to do push-ups. I'd start to go run. I'd start to work out. I'd do all these things, and I couldn't break those problems in my life. And then Jesus came in and loved me exactly where I was at and rescued me and redeemed me. And over a course of many, many years, I'm still on the progress, He's slowly making me become more like Him. What a power that is when you've tried everything and nothing has worked and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am your answer. I have come to set you free if you believe even to those who have lived the life of sin, the promise of forgiveness is offered to you. 
to those who have been in bondage to addiction, the promise is offered to you. To those who have been judged by others and condemned by your own thoughts, this promise is being offered to you. Your sins, many though they may be, are forgiven when you allow your condemnation to be transformed to conviction so that you can truly receive salvation from Jesus Christ the Lord. Luke 7.48 Then He said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Your slate has been wiped clean. And with a word, He changed her life and He changed her eternity. He offers the same word to you today. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Jesus said, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Understand this powerful promise from Jesus. This call goes out to all who are heavy laden with sin, with condemnation, with shame, with hurt, with pain, with confusion and with despair. Jesus is totally inclusive of everyone saying, come to Me. I will take that heaviness off your shoulder. I will break that bondage in your life. I will give you peace that the world cannot give you. But you got to come to Me. He did the same for me. He'd done the same for many of you. The call goes out right now. He is speaking to you right now. Right there in your seat. Trust Him through the process when you come to Him. He will give you rest from your thoughts and from your pain. He is gentle and He will lead you on a journey of restoration if you trust Him. Will you come all the way to Jesus like this woman did? She experienced something that the world could not give her. She was freed from her bondage and by the power and love of Jesus. She was able to walk away from this encounter as a completely changed and healed person. What do you need from Jesus right now? Forgiveness? Compassion? Direction, healing, He's here. Open your heart to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. We thank You that even that Your Word is alive and speaks to us even now. We come to You right now, Lord God. We ask You to do a work in us. We know what each one of us is convicted of, God. We're past the shame and the condemnation. We just want to be set free. So, Lord God, as collectively we say this prayer to You, I ask You if You believe this prayer to say it in Your heart as well. Heavenly Father, we are sinners. We've messed up in word or thought or deed. We need You. We thank You that You sent Jesus to this world to take my place, to take our place on that cross. To die for our sins. To pay the penalty for our sins. And then we thank You that by the power of God, You caused Jesus to rise from the dead. 
to give us a new life. That old things have passed away and the new has come. Lord God, we receive that new life in our bodies and our lives right now in Jesus' name. We thank You for forgiving us and setting us free. Help us to stay close to You as You lead us on this journey all the way to our eternal home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.